This is the captain speaking. Welcome on board your Pan American Clipper. We're ready for takeoff, so please sit back, relax, and enjoy your flight. Come fly with me. This is Simon Tishko, this is Isotopica, and you are tuned to Resonance 104.4 FM. Um, on today's Isotopica, I've said M again, I'm going to try not to say M so much, but on today's Isotopica, we have a special guest, Mr. Herbert Wright, contributing editor of Blueprint magazine, and Isotopica's very own roving architectural reporter. Um, Herb and I will be having a jolly good old natter. I will be getting most of my facts wrong. Herb will be getting all of his facts correct and correcting me. Um, he's a lovely speaker, that's all I've got to say. Herb is fun. Hope you enjoy. Two days detour. And pin back your ears. Find yourself a comfortable place to sit and enjoy today's Isotopia. Last time, if I'll just remind you, you were heading off to, or maybe you're already headed off to, I can't quite remember, the Biennale in Lisbon. Uh, uh, you've sort of got that uh, right and um, in a very mishmash way. Nice. Uh, <laughs> yeah. No, the first weekend of this month uh, in October, we had Lisbon Open 
Garden House. And um, that's organised by the Architectural Triennale of Lisbon. Um, and I was the curatorial consultant. So I've got to say, phenomenal success. The whole city was alive with it. Um, uh, we, it, we have 53 places, 54, sorry, um, uh, open across uh, the city. Open houses, I'm sure uh, a lot of people know, is um, one weekend every year where uh, properties of architectural interest are open to the public, free of charge, guided tours are given, all of that sort of thing started in London 20 years ago. Um, so this was the first edition we had in Lisbon and the place was um, absolutely the whole town was full of people walking around with a green guidebook mm. um, we were uh, we targeted 10,000 visits we got 14,000 40% over target That's amazing. Um, people were queuing down streets um, the last place I went to which was um, at the bottom of an 18th century building just off the uh, Baisha, the old city centre, um, and a conversion had taken place uh, into a new dwelling for um, a distinguished Portuguese architect called uh, Manuel Irish Mateus. Anyway, they, we, that was the last um, place that was open on the Saturday. Mm -hmm. um, it wasn't open until 6pm. Um, and uh, we got there. We'd already done about six or seven and other venues all over town. When you say done, because you were like being a punter on it. Yes, yes, yeah, to, yeah, yeah. To, all, to all, all, all my work had been done, so, yeah. so I could kind of um, uh, not sit back, but uh, walk. Well, not walk back either. Walk forward, um, uh, but you know, with the main worries off uh, my mind, everything was done. Of course, the big worry was anyone would anyone turn up, and as I said, loads of people turned up. But, yeah, so this final one. So um, we reach it at about uh, 7.30 or so. Darkness is falling. And it's on this slopey street. And I'm very, very tired. I'm thinking, oh, maybe I'll give this a miss. But no. Um, uh, there's this queue going up the street um, mm -hmm. of young people as if for some super hip secret club event. And I think, my goodness, that's got to be the house, <laughs> the dwelling of Manuel Irish Matesh. And sure enough, it was queued right up the street, um, right at that hour. Um, and uh, a fantastic property, you know, all um, uh, different levels, vaults, um, narrow passages. Um, he'd turned a cistern into a huge storage room. Um, so the whole place felt like a cross between an art gallery and um, uh, the the, uh, the dining quarters of a baron in an old castle and several other things, all painted white. Amazing. Just absolutely fantastic. One of many, many amazing properties I saw in Lisbon. Custard tarts everywhere? Yes, yes, yes. Um, uh, yes and no. They call them pastels. pastels. And they are custard tarts, but mm. they're a different uh, formula. Um, uh, and they're presented differently from the English custard tarts. No, I'm thinking of the, the ones, because as a West London dweller, there's the Lisboa and place like that. Where yeah, you get yeah. The, is, well, that, that, yeah. Is that a pastel? It's a pa pastel. It's we, a pastel. We call it pasta de nata or something like that here. Um, well... 
you know, if you ask for a pastel, that's what you get. It's the same thing. Okay. Um, and they with the flaky pastry. Yes, 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 yes. Yeah, absolutely. I love them. Um, uh, I love the English custard tart as well. Can't quite make my mind up which is uh, better. Oh, the, the the Portuguese one is far superior, really. There's a comfort thing. I mean, yours. Mm, are, mm. Uh, the, the English custard tart. Could we think of this in architectural terms, perhaps? Um, no, that's a, probably not. Yeah. No, I'm trying to think. <laughs> the, 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 you know. <laughs> The pastel's always got a slightly burnt uh, uh, top. Yeah. And um, what's the architectural analogy of that? Um, you've kind of, you've got a house that's pastry. been burnt. Yes, right. <laughs> maybe well, not. Yeah. Maybe, maybe it doesn't work, but whatever, they're very, very yummy. Mm. And I've actually been extending that out to, um, from Lisboa once again, uh, custard donuts. Oh, right. They're almost a crime. They're so amazing. Instead oh. of a jammy donut with a big lump of jam in it, cut it open and it's utter, and I mean packed. Yeah. The, the Portuguese know how to get more custard into a given volume. Mm. Yes, they are masters the of many things. Yeah. And that is one of them. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I've, I'm, I'm just got nothing but admiration for, for what the Portuguese do. They're fantastic people. So how did you people. get actually this working relationship with the... Um, oh, that's open a, house in Portugal. Yeah, uh, uh, it, it's a long story, but I'll try to give a, a, a very brief summary of it. Um, I went as a journalist for Blueprint magazine to cover the Lisbon Architectural Triennale of twenty. Sorry, Triennale. Yes, I said that mm. of twenty ten, um, uh, which was which was an interesting event, exhibitions, presentations, and so on and so forth. I wrote about that. And then I went uh, early last year, early 2011, to Mumbai, and I interviewed a great Indian architect called Charles Career. Now, he told me that his most recent significant work had just opened in Lisbon, called the Champalamo Center for the Unknown, a huge biomedical research um, center with uh, treatment and recuperation facilities. Mm. Sort of like a huge Maggie Center on a big scale with um, nuclear um, uh, facilities in laboratories nearby. And I mean that because they do things like nuclear magnetic resonance scanning and so on. Um, It sounds kind of more mysterious than it actually is. Yeah, yeah, no, it's quite an everyday thing. Beautiful name though, beautiful name for the place. Mm. Mm, Champalamo. Uh, it's named after um, uh, a fellow who was uh, Portugal's richest man, um, an industrialist um, who had all his uh, money taken away and then he went to Brazil and made all the money again and came back. Um, but he was going blind towards the end of his life, so he bequeathed um, a large amount of money for medical research. And the result is the Champalamo Centre for the Unknown, which is out in Bel uh, for the unknown, that's where it adds a mystery to the name. That's mm. twists the name. Unknown yeah. in what sense? Well, um, uh, because all research um, is uh, going into the unknown. Uh-huh. It, it, it's always trying. You know, you're trying to find something out which you yeah. don't know. So, by definition, it's into the unknown. Um, but it's especially significant with the Champalamo Centre because um, the site is on the Tagus River um, in Belém and it's from there that the great navigators set out to um, basically discover the world as we know it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Magellan sailed around the world, you know, they went to Japan, they went to Bra- uh, Brazil in 1500, uh, before that they'd done Africa, and all those ships were setting out from uh, Belém uh, on the Tagus River. So it's kind of like a departure point literally into the unknown. 
and when Charles Correa, this Indian architect who I interviewed in Mumbai, saw the site, he instantly made that connection mm -hmm. that, you know, um, uh, journeys into the unknown uh, were what the researchers would be doing at the centre as well. So um, he designed that very, very much um, uh, with that in mind. Um, he's very big on something called the genius um, uh, Loki, uh, I hope I pronounced that correctly, which means the spirit of the place. Of it's course, sort of an yeah. architectural theoretical term. Um, and uh, he's also uh, very concerned with... Um, uh, he manages to find uh, metaphysical uh, qualities um, to bring into his work because as well as European modernism he's very very interested in Hindu temples um, uh, so that often gives a metaphysical aspect to the work and that's certainly the case with the Champalamo Centre for the Unknown. There's poetry in his work by the sounds of it. It sounds mm. like an architect very much worth investigating more. What mm. the, where else would we be able to see any of his work? Well he's coming to London um, uh, spring of next year um, I understand, I haven't got the details yet, but there's some sort of uh, retrospective of his work happening at Reba, Royal Institute of British Architects, mm -hmm. um, and there'll be some talks and everything, so I'm looking forward to meeting him nice. again then. Nice. Um, he's, How old is he, by the way? He's, uh, I'm not sure of the exact year, it's 80 or 81, something like that. Because yeah. a young architect is someone in their 50s. Mm. You've got an age mm. shift within architecture because of the time it takes to practice and to move forward in the practice. I noticed that I was um, viewing a documentary the other night about Chandigarh. Oh, yes. And the birth of Chandigarh. And they were talking about, and that went on to Brasilia. Oh, yes. Uh, which obviously Lima. led yes. on from that there. And they were talking about the architect there being a young architect, and it was in his 50s. And then they right. actually put it in the context within architecture you are considered. Ah. Whippersnapper. Interesting. Well, the fellow yeah, who, nice. who laid out Brasilia and um, uh, designed key buildings there, um, Oscar Niemeyer, he's mm -hmm. still alive. And um, again, I can't quite remember his exact age, but it's it's 100 plus or minus a few years. So very much, he's still yeah, going. Right yeah, yeah, yeah. Interesting. Practicing. Yes. Um, uh, I oh, uh, I'm not 100 percent sure, but 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 <laughs> I, he, he he was certainly making some comments about um, uh, things. Uh, he's in that the game, I read basically. just a he's, few he's months very much ago. In the game, yeah, 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 yeah. Absolutely, uh, yes, right. yeah. Anyway, it hasn't all been Lisbon, but what a phenomenal success. Um, uh, just very briefly, um, I've also been to Oslo, where uh, Renzo Piano had uh, designed a new uh, museum, the Astrup Fernley Museum, which is contemporary art. Really? Um, and I liked that museum Commercial very space much. Or public space? Um, it is, uh, well, the Astrup Fernley uh, Foundation, or collection rather, is mm. a private collection, but this is open to the public. Okay. And, um, uh, it's it was housed in an older and smaller building but this is a spectacular sort of sail shaped building right by the fjord and there's a lot of uh, blingy art in it you know there's a lot of Jeff Koons and mm -hmm. uh, Damien Hurst and, yeah. and all that sort of thing um, uh, which uh, it appeared to me a lot of the stuff did seem Obvious. On the other hand, if there's no other place in Oslo where you can see this kind of thing, why it's not? It's not so obvious. Yeah. But to the um, to the collection's credit, um, uh, they've been um, concentrating uh, fairly um, uh, quite quite a bit on Chinese contemporary Chinese artists. Um, uh, so there were a lot of names there that I didn't recognise. To an extent, that's where the blings moved to. 
To an extent, absolutely, yeah, yeah. And, and, and of course, there are those big uh, Chinese artist uh, names are right up there in, in, in terms of their market value. But these were ones that I hadn't heard of, and I found some of their works a, a little bit more interesting. But I found the building absolutely fascinating. Mm. And it's um, uh, uh, the whole thing lies under a single huge um, uh, curving roof of glass that is meant to evoke a sail um, but actually it's been um, uh, it's been sections have been cut into it um, above a waterway which cuts through the museum itself um, and to uh, around a little piazza on one side of it so actually if you look at the roof from above, which you can do when they finish a luxury hotel in about a year's time be next to it. I, 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 I went up that. Okay. that, that, that. It, it doesn't actually look like a sail. It looks like um, it looks like some uh, dreadfully scary Viking axe. That's the roof. Nice. Okay. <laughs> and it's do, do, family. And do you think yeah. the building outshines? The collection inside. Um, but where's the balance? Yeah, yeah. I think uh, uh, it's it, it's always a, a good question. You know, when you see a new gallery, what's more interesting, um, uh, the architecture or the contents? Um, in this particular case, I thought it was the architecture. But to be totally fair to the Astrup Fernley uh, Museum, um, I zoomed around all the rooms. These fantastic um, uh, sort of tra of rooms um, uh, of different sizes, different shapes. Um, uh, but I wanted to go back and, you know, contemplate a little bit um, mm. uh, uh, in some of those rooms that I'd seen. Now, I couldn't go back. Why not? Because the Queen of Norway was coming to open up the place, the, uh, all sealed off, massive crowds, so I got obstructed by the Queen of Norway. Humph! Funnily, I, I always think of Scandinavian royal family as turning up on the bus. They're actually much more genteel and, and more appropriate. If you've got to have a monarchy, the Scandinavian model, where they kind of do go out, you know, you see them in yeah. Argos at the weekend with their catalogues. Yeah, so yeah, yeah, that's right, that's right. And the Dutch Queen, of course, is very famous for cycling around everywhere. Yeah. And, you know, if there's a disaster in the country, she'll roll up on a bicycle. Ringing a bell. Yeah. Which look out, is... everyone, look out. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Good for, right. Good for her. Yes. What, else, what else has been happening? You have more journalistic work, I understand. Um, well, from uh, next month, I'm uh, becoming the uh, co uh, a contributing editor on Blueprint magazine, which I've been writing uh, for, for a long time now, about six months. Um, so I'll still be writing uh, uh, for other pieces, but but it's absolutely fantastic. I love Blueprint magazine. We all love Blueprint magazine. Yes, and, and and I will be contributing editor. Fantastic. That's excellent. Yeah. In fact, where you're sitting at the moment, you're sitting under the aeroplane wing, not just a little bit forward. There's a photograph. I think it may even have been in Blueprint magazine because years ago you did an article about this installation here for Blueprint magazine. Yes. There's some rather fetching photographs of you under the wing. Yes, yes, that's right. Yes. Who took those photos? Do you me. remember? Oh, right. Okay. Just me, uh, snip, snap. No one else, <laughs> no one else cared. Yes. <laughs> um, tell you something I was looking at in the news today. Um, Admiralty Arch. Oh, yes, yes, yes. It's actually being sold. No, mm. leased. They've actually sold leased? the lease, oh, a sixty-year six lease, is it, or a hundred and twenty-year lease for sixty million, or a sixty-million lease for one hundred and twenty years? I'm not yeah. sure which. Yeah. But 
how did how does that fit in with your London view? I mean, I'm I'm still digesting that one because it's yeah. such a central yeah. building. Yes. Well, um, uh, it, it, it's it, it's interesting. Uh, um, if they're going they're going to convert it into a luxury hotel, I take it. Is yeah. that right? That's, that's the news. That's the basically. News. Um, and, and it's in the lease that it's not yeah. to become a single residence or divided up into luxury right. flats for presumably bankers or yeah yeah whatever. Uh, or, um, well. It, yeah, it, it's obviously in the right area for a certain sort of tourist. I mean, uh, you know, I, I work... Um, tourists? Tourists. Is that in the George Bush, we're going to stop all the tourists? Uh, <laughs> obviously well, not. Well, yes and no. A lot of Americans, because, you know, it's the other end of the mall from uh, Buckingham Palace. Yeah. So, you know, um, uh, uh, I do some work uh, from time to time at the ICA, so we're on the mall. Yeah. And people are constantly coming in and asking, you know, where's Buckingham Palace? Oh, can you tell us about the changing of the guard? Mm. Or increasingly popular, actually, and probably slightly more interesting than either of those two, where are the cabinet war rooms? Um, but, uh, yes, it's a certain sort of uh, 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 tourist um, that wants to see these very, very obvious things. And, and I think, you know, there's far more interesting things in London to see than Buckingham Palace. But Admiralty Arch was designed by a fellow called Aston Webb, um, Edwardian architect, and he is the same guy who did the facade of Buckingham Palace. Um, that facade is a 1920s or possibly 1930s facade. Oh, you really? know, uh, yeah. Behind that, you, it, the palace is older, of course. Okay. It's, uh, I think it's Georgian. I'd have to double check all mm. all this, but certainly that facade you see, it's a 20th century facade. Um, so you're not even looking at a very historical um, uh, structure when you're standing there. Uh, um, you know, peeping through the railings, you, wondering you, if the Queen is. You've in. also got to think how much that Buckingham Palace actually stretches up um, through St James, because you've got all those grace and favour houses there. Oh yes, and yes, yes, offices. yes. There's, there's that whole yeah. area that's kind of quite hidden off. Mm. It's not so easy to drive through, and there's mm. not really main pedestrian routes through it. Yeah. And I understand that you know, if you're a friend of one of the princes, that's where you get given a flat, etc., etc. Hence, grace and favour. Oh right. It's just kind okay. of yes, yes, yes. Well, there's the whole uh, Clarence house is there, isn't it, as well? I'm not sure Clarence, where it is exactly. There's, this I mean, is, there's, this there's is a all few further on by Green Park, all around Green Park. Oh and, yeah, yeah, yeah. And all that area. Green Park. Yes, yes. Quite curious. Hmm. Hmm. Um, yeah. Back to Admiralty Arch. Um, uh, but what I thought, um, uh, you know, there's so many luxury hotels of different sorts um, uh, coming up in London. You know, uh, another one just off the top of my head, the Shangri-La Hotel. I know. Um, uh, well, that's being fitted out uh, right now um, in the Shard. Um, so that's okay. yeah, that's uh, uh, completely. What position in the building? How high is that going to be? Um, it is, uh, if I recall correctly, it's around about the 200 metre level. It's underneath the public viewing galleries. So quite are, near the top. Um, well, it's, it's 300 uh, and... Six meters high, 304 meters high. Sorry. Um, incidentally, the press keeps saying it's 310, but the 310 is its height above sea level. Um, no, it, so yeah, it, it, it's about halfway up the shard. It's above the offices, but below the apartments uh, and below the observation gallery. 
But here's my point about um, these luxury hotels. Of course, you know, London as a city needs the luxury hotels because um, uh, it accommodates um, uh, people who spend lots of money in our shops and on our attractions and that feeds our economy. Great. Mm -hmm. But um, I think to myself, what about the budget traveller? Um, we need to be building more hotels for people on a budget. And furthermore, my experience, having stayed in many, many budget hotels and quite a few luxury hotels, is it's often a load more fun in a budget hotel. Yeah, I can, I can to an extent, to an extent, depending on location, depending on budget hotel, and I must say, when I had the suite in the Ritz for Fashion Week a few years ago, oh, yes. I had my bicycle parked outside, which oh, was rather fun, and oh. I even got picked up in a white van, a beaten up white van from London took me to an event and actually pulled oh, into right. the thing at the Ritz. But, yeah. I mean... So your beds, chauffeur was a, a white van man? A white van man. Yeah, yeah Gervais, yeah. antique dealer, a friend of mine with a place in the Pousse in Paris, and he came and picked me up. But that was great, because you've got all the smoke window limousines pulling up the tourist photograph in a white van and I jump out there. They didn't open the door for me of the white van, oh. but that may just be because it was an English one, which means it was on the wrong side, so right. I don't know yeah, whether it's stunning. Yes. But um, the pillows and the bed and the general ambience there, bearing in mind that the it wasn't the Ritz, that the, we stayed at the Ritz one year, but then we did Le Maurice the year after, which that was the Nazi headquarters in World War Two, oh. and you've still got this kind of grey and blue interior with the panelled walls, very very Parisienne, mm. and I have to say you're talking about the, the hitting the top end of luxury hotels there mm. it was mm. rather nice Yes, I'm, I, I could imagine it would be I mean actually when I was in Lisbon just um, uh, earlier this month um, I was put up in the Ritz, yeah. and I've got to say what a fantastic experience y um, Yeah, there is that sterility that yes. goes with the sort of high end. With well, I think in, in 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 the particular case of the Lisbon Ritz, it was part of our open house program, and actually it was a very very interesting building architecturally, mm. um, built in the fifties. But it was uh, from one of the great Art Deco architects of um, of Portugal called Pardal Monteiro. Um, so this was obviously late in his career, and he was adapting some ideas about mm. modernism um, uh, to what was basically a fantastic portfolio had built up of um, you know very decorative art deco buildings but you saw that um, uh, in the richness of the interiors um, uh, and you know the incorporation of art into um, the stonework and, and the use of marble and so on and so forth so I was very very impressed with, with, with that but um, uh, and you know I cannot fault the Ritz Hotel in Lisbon absolutely bloody fantastic mm -hmm. But, you know, sometimes with these luxury hotels, you feel you get perhaps a little bit too much service. I mean, I asked for a pair of scissors um, <laughs> at the reception. They just turned up in your back five minutes later, don't they? No, <laughs> not that. No, so, so I go up to my room, and then, uh, you know, there's a knock on the door, and a fellow is holding out a fancy black bag to me, you know, one of those ones that looks as if it's got incredibly expensive chocolates in it. So I think, what's this? So I say, thank you very much, I open it, and it's a pair of scissors. In a bag. I mean, why did it have to be in the bag? Presentation. Yes, presentation. Yeah, let's, yeah. let's dive back, because we are diverging, as we should be doing, on Isotopica being a cultural detour. Um, 
a couple of points. You talk. We're talking about the Shard mm. and the different oh, heights yes, 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 yes. and the placement of the luxury hotel yeah, there. Yeah. And then I think back to Ballard's. Um, what is it called? High Rise. Oh yes, yeah. I think it is called High Rise. Yes, High Rise, yes, one of my yes. all-time favourites of, of the Ballard story. Mm. And there, how the class system—it was very delineated. You, you had the architect living at the top mm. as being the king, as the designer. This was his empire. Yeah. And then it would come down to judges, da 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 da, all the way down to air hostesses lived in the bottom floors. Oh. Do you remember that? And it was filmed directly. I haven't read it, but obviously like, I, oh uh, um, God, I, I know about. This it. is an absolute must for yeah, you to read. Yeah, obviously. Yeah. But um, you had the film director, a BBC film director, was kind of two-thirds of the way up. And, mm. and it very much was this stratified class system was there. And then you're talking about budget hotels. So were you thinking in terms of the budget hotel in Admiralty House, for instance? What no, would be an interesting no, no, no. Um, uh, uh, I don't think you could do that. I mean, actually, they um, not far from there... Um, at Piccadilly Circus of the Trocadero. They've opened or are just about to open a text message. A pod. Oh, right. A, a pod hotel. One of those is that, pod is hotels. Is that the guy from Yo Sushi opening the pods? Um, so that's one of his projects. I don't yeah, know. those Yotels. No, Yo I don't think this is a Yotel. Um, gee, we should check our facts before Which, we start well, talking no, about no, these no, things, no, shouldn't facts we? Aren't, facts aren't important. Yeah. It's, it's, it's more the sort of um, dashing about. But the reason I ask about the. Admiralty Arch and the Budget Hotel and its proposed use, or not proposed use, this is actually a signed, steeled and stamped deal now that's going to become a luxury hotel. Mm. I'm thinking in terms of um, Buckingham Palace as well. Yes. Alternative yeah. uses for Buckingham Palace because one of the great, the royalists, the people that believe in this absurd and I think disgraceful and discriminatory system that we have the mm. royalty oh. and monarchy in oh. this country and Buckingham Palace I, what I would like to see is if you think about it, they talk of it in terms of tourism mm. and how good yeah. it is for tourists yeah. things like that uh, look at the number of tourists that turn up at the Tate Gallery and all of these other yeah, things like absolutely. that this is, this is the rock star these yes, days isn't yes, it art yes, there yes. so I think we, if we were to turn Buckingham Palace into artist studios grace and mm. favour artist studios and all the gardens because you've got those beautiful gardens there which actually slice a huge part of West London in half because you've got the private gardens yeah. open those up as allotments yeah. and all the way down the map you could have the sort of royal memorial because this is obviously in the Republican era, era. or we could have the monarchy um, people bid for it every three or four years and get different family in. but whatever artist studios in Buckingham Palace um, allotments in the gardens Admiralty Arch social housing well, um, uh, I'm, I'm not sure I'm going to go along with you on this. Cause, no, I'm just uh, throwing the uh, idea in. I'm yeah, not, I'm yeah, definitely yeah. not trying to get uh, you to agree. But. Yeah, no, uh, interesting, interesting. I, I don't think um, uh, the Admiralty Arch and um, uh, Buckingham Palace or, or any works by Aston Webb, the great Edwardian architect, are, I don't think they've got the right um, feel, the right chemistry for um, uh, those sorts of use. But moreover, I, I'm actually a great supporter of the Queen. Um, uh, not a great supporter, but let's face it, she's a lovely old lady um, uh, who's, who, 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 who does bring in this tourist uh, revenue. Yes, you 
you're absolutely right. Um, uh, I had to check this a couple of years ago because um, uh, it was relevant for some article, but the most visited place in London is the Tate Modern. So, um, uh, uh, but... We all know that all these tourists come pouring in who specifically want to see the changing of the guard. And, they could still have a guard. So, 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 you know, you can't lump all these tourists into one group, but that, that lot who do want to see the changing of the guard, um, uh, uh, we make a lot of money from them. Not really. Um, I, I mean, I'm challenging, I'm challenging your preconceptions. There. We won't go too far into this, except to say that, that you've fallen for the, the biggest trap of all, this lovely old lady who is absolutely symbolic of, and more than symbolic, she is, it's actually written, it's, that's what it is, it says God-given, for a start they're assuming there's a God that makes her superior to everyone else. In other words, the winds of family, it's institutionalised racism and sexism in everything. That, that there, there's no chance of a meritocracy, there's no chance of equality, there's no chance of equality of, of opportunity in a country like Britain when you have an aristocracy and you have a monarchy. It's absolutely... It was one of those revelations, actually probably cycling near the mile one day, because yeah, I have yeah. a lot of time to think. And when I realised the full impact, I obviously knew the full impact, but it actually got me right in the heart of how serious... Because symbols are very important in our world. Mm. And the symbol of a monarchy is one of racism. I have to say it. That's it. Well, um, uh, I, I, I don't think so. I, I don't think so. And I think uh, uh, one particular characteristic of um, uh, of the Queen um, is that she has done a lot um, against racism. She's um, uh, very much reflected... Head of the British Empire. <laughs> well... <laughs> The Mau Mau. Yeah, no, no, no. Uh, you know, we're, India. We're, let me think how far we're yeah, no, 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 you, going. Yeah, I don't think you can pin. Um, she's uh, the head of it. How not? She's the head of. She's the symbol of it. It's in her name. Um, it's actually God things change. Things change. We, we, you know, we, we are a uh, multi-ethnic society, and I've never. The Windsors on. <laughs> <laughs> They're just one. It's the Windsors. That's it. Oh dear. What, the race of Windsors? Yeah, the, yes, race, the yeah, superior yeah, yeah, race of Windsors, yeah, yeah. we have to say. No, I, 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 I don't think there's uh, uh, any racism in the Queen as a personality or no, not as a personality, um, I'm just or saying in her actions. Um, and as for the symbolic thing, yeah. you know, how seriously do we have to take it? I mean, um, uh, I think, you know, you've just got to be a little bit realistic about these things. Um, how many... Oh, dear, dear. Uh, the whole thing about people being appointed by God, because you're absolutely right. I yeah. mean, you know, all, uh -huh. uh, all, or, or certainly the majority of, of monarchs in the world are allegedly appointed by God. They've yeah. got some kind of, and you as know, there's the no God, divine... And go, right. hang on, there's a <laughs> yeah. it, it, uh, You see, I of think it's, it's actually time that we all grew up, that mm. as society, I'm a great believer in progress of, uh, of, of, of mankind. I'm a great, I'm a humanist. And this notion mm. of having a fairy tale of a fairy tale, which means that there's, see, you could never be Queen. There could never be Queen Herbert because you've got the wrong blood type. You weren't born into it. Mm. And now, unless it's the old days where you go out with your big chopper and chop off some legs of this and the other yeah, and yeah. fight to be the Queen or the King yeah, or whatever, yeah. um, it could never happen, which means that's a stratification. 
and a god-given stratification as well. So it's a fairy tale allowing a fairy tale, which keeps you repressed. And symbols are very important. Well, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm just not feeling <laughs> I mean, very we're, repressed we're, by the Queen. No, you know, no, no, I, I, I feel repressed by shall something. I, shall we spin this back to Arch? <laughs> the Queen ain't on my list. Do you know about, repre- do you know about yeah. the nose of Admiralty Arch? Yes, 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 yes. A- absolutely. That nose by uh, Rick Buckley, um, put up in 1997. It, yes. We didn't know that for a very long time. No one knew. That's about, right. Because yeah. I remember coming in and seeing you at the ICA when I, I discovered the nose once on my bicycle. It's mm. a suitable height to notice when you're on a bicycle. Yeah, yeah. And I noticed noticed the nose and I came in to the ICA and remember mentioning it and everyone was going, the nose, the nose, what nose? Yeah, and yeah, the, right. the manager of the day went up to check to see, yes, there really was a nose there. That's right. And the northernmost arch, by the way. You know, if you pass through Admiralty Arch, go through the one, uh, the arch on the Mel, on the ICA side. Uh-huh. Um, and as you say, it's quite high, you know. Well, the, the, the legend came back that it was, mm. we all decided at the time that it was actually a formal nose that had been put there and it was probably another one of these aristocrats possibly the Duke of Windsor I no, think it was the Duke Windsor. of York Duke of York yeah, that's right yeah, the Duke of yeah. York had his merry men and humpty yeah, yeah, yeah. but at the certain height mm. that as you went through on your horse you could stroke the nose mm. But that was completely tr- untrue. Yeah, completely untrue. An urban again? myth. Um, he is called Rick Buckley. What a lovely, successful and lovely yes, piece of work. That is. Yes, is yes, that, yes, He's yes, got yes. other noses in various other places. I've seen right? noses in uh, places like Soho. Quo Vardis. Yes, Is there yes, a nose near yes, Quo Vardis, which I, he probably did too. Yeah, yeah, I think he did. Again, we need to check Because the YBAs, that. the YBAs yeah, are going yeah. to wanted them yeah. to see his what we, what, what we need, what we need, Simon, we're, 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 when you're talking to me, is, is what the Republicans and the Democrats have during these presidential elections, and that is fact a checker? fact checker. Yeah, a fact checker. Okay. Yeah. Can, well, can we get one in next time, please? Uh, well, yes and no, because quite frankly, I've, I've got no sense of having to stick close to reality whatsoever. Oh, okay. And this is going out on Resonance Radio, okay. which is notorious for the fact that th- many people actually don't even believe Resonance Radio exists. Oh. Uh-huh. Oh. So, you know... <laughs> Never mind reality. What, then they believe it in a sort of existentialist way? Well, like, in the same you know, way... D- does the London Underground exist? Yeah, you know? it, it's that sort of thing. In the same way that some people can believe in the royal family as having God-given powers, the same way do you say, does resonance exist? Are we listening to this mm. broadcast or is this merely a figment of yeah. imagination? And yeah. In fact, I have not been taking my medication recently. Ah, yes, OK. Or, I mean, what a ridiculous notion to think that I'd be given a radio show that I could broadcast whatever I wanted to on a Tuesday afternoon to London and the world 104.4 fm on your london <laughs> i mean that's got to it, be absurd, is remarkable. It? It, it is it remarkable it is remarkable so yeah yeah any sense of reality out the window yeah yeah and, and given a budget to to afford guests like me of course i know and and, 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 and my price is basically a cup of good coffee by the way and and the limo outside oh. waiting for you with smoke windows to yeah yeah oh not the white van blast long gone <laughs> so um we look yeah. forward to uh, any anything more you'd like to add. No, yeah, I mean, I just really wanted to say um, uh, the big point I wanted to make about these uh, luxury hotels was okay, fine, you know, luxury hotels, um, uh, good, 
but let's develop um, uh, more and more budget hotels. Um, you know, uh, you were talking about the Ritz in Paris. Um, the last time I was in Paris, I stayed in this hotel uh, near La Pigalle. Mm. It was something I booked over the internet, and it was it was it was a budget hotel. Um, every time you switched on the light in the little bathroom section, which was basically you know a sink and a bidet, mm. um, uh, the whole room's electricity was shorted. Um, so you go down to complain to the receptionist, who of course spoke fluent English, pretend but pretended not to. Um, the loos were, uh, you'd, uh, I, it took me about an hour to find the loos. I thought, this is very mysterious. Surely people use loos who stay in this building. But they were actually in cupboards in, in the wall as you went up the staircase. So these cupboards that you actually literally step through and you find yourself in a very small loo. And, um, you know, with those uh, wonderful smells of French drainage that took me back to my childhood and early memories of uh, Parisian hotels then mm. and I thought uh, you know fantastic location you're getting this kind of experience mm -hmm. I'd get back to my hotel um, you know after knocking around some bars in La Pigalle or over Place de Stalingrad switch on the light in the bathroom it would all go dark and I think I don't care I'll just lie in the bed I love this look out the window this is this is real life this is this is Paris um, uh, this is romance this is this is I'd rather be in that kind of situation mm -hmm, mm -hmm. than most luxury hotels. A lot to be said for that. I've actually always had very, very good experiences with hotels in Paris, finding really nice places uh, at really good prices. There was one I went into which actually was an active brothel, which was oh. absolutely amazing. Um, mirrors all around the walls and on the ceiling. Mm. and But you could rent it out as a regular room. It wasn't yeah, um, yeah. certainly not by the hour at, at reasonable prices. But there, there was a working girl in the room next door and I was there with a girlfriend. Oh, yes. And we had sort of amorous thoughts and then hearing this kind of very strained and rather fake where, 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 where in the room next door it's like we kind of thought oh no this is so uh, not a bit romantic off -putting, yeah, yeah, yeah. but another place um, kind of architecturally in a way a really strange architect Martin Stone a very old friend of mine um, he was one of England's first Sufi rock stars back oh, in the 1960s with the band Mighty Baby does that ring a bell? it does very elaborate yeah. grove Marty, Mighty Baby I like the sound of it already yeah 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 they, mm. they were very much prog rock all sorts of things but he is now a book dealer in Paris he's lived there for many years the mm, most stylish, not a bookmaker not a bookmaker but a book dealer no. um, he did a great speciality in supernatural and black magic books and actually had a lot of dealing with Jimmy Page oh. and things and he showed but I went to stay with him and he's got a very small little apartment um Near that, what's that great picture? Montparnasse in the Montparnasse. Oh, yes, area. to the Montparnasse. Near Montparnasse. Montparnasse. Jim Morrison's near there, isn't he? That's His right, grave. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's, yeah. That, that's where the grave is. And mm. stay with Martin, a beautiful little flat he lives in with his girlfriend, apartment. And then just off the other side of the stairs is the book room, which is like a little tinier apartment where he keeps lots and lots of stock. And oh, it yes. is stacked to the ceiling with books of, of old, old, old books. And you actually have to push books to one side to make space for the sleeping bag on the floor. <laughs> and I was making room for my pillow, and the book I moved actually was a first edition Tibetan Book of the Dead. Oh, it's my that good. First edition? First edition Tibetan oh, Book goodness. of the Dead. I mean, because wow. that, was, that was a 19... 
15, 19, 10, yes. 1915 uh, book. I'm not sure, but yeah. Yeah, it was, it was yeah, around that period it, yeah. because it was all to do with the... Um, David Ellis was very much involved with them. He did a talk in their building near Hyde Park Corner. Um, not the Masons. Not who, the Masons, very uh, similar to the Masons. Big building in Covent the Garden. Madame Blatsky and her crew. Oh, I, I don't know her. Never mind. We not, know we know those. Not the Odd Fellows of Manchester. Not obviously ma- not. <laughs> no. We know the name. We'll come back to that. Okay. Theosophists. The Theosophists. Oh yes, yeah, yes. Yeah. And Theosophical. The place, aren't That's they? right. The Theosophical yeah, Society. Yes. But yes. Um, so Tibetan Book of the Dead was very much part of their canon. Ah, yeah, yeah. And, Fits in. And, yes. And the whole yes. thing there. But going to sleep in that room, the smell of old books a beautiful beautiful paper smell and I swear that I went to sleep I'd like to think there was the sound of an accordion in the background somewhere coming from the Parisian streets Mm. probably not but it very much was I I kind of swamped with a typographical dream there was just like a little Alice through the looking glass swirling (laughs) notion of going to sleep amongst all these fabulous collector's books it's quite an experience yes yes but strangely and talking about hotels just just, of course in flight here at the moment the flight is actually operating as a hotel now oh right and And have you had any people check in yet not so much check in lots of interest because it featured in Le Coule as being one of the most exclusive hotels for the Olympics oh right which was okay. 500 quid a night to stay here you yeah. can only stay here if I like you right and I put that in because um, when I was doing the supper club yeah. here um I had some really awful guests at times, and it was like mm. a real invasion, so I actually mm. did quite a checking yeah. for you are to come here. So this idea of, of flight as a very bijou little hotel, mm. one-off, of coming to live in, an, you know, stay in an artwork for a night in London, it's a thing. No, I think that's absolutely fantastic, actually, and I think that's the third... Um, uh, uh, it's just sort of like a third element in, you know, what can you do if you're going to make a new hotel? You can either make uh, some sort of five-star hotel for uh, very rich people, or you can make um, a budget hotel, maybe it's a pod hotel, or you can make a boutique hotel or an art hotel, and I like that idea a lot. And the, um, uh, one of the best hotels I ever stayed in um, was in Shenzhen in China, um, and it was called the Vision Fashion Hotel. And Vision um, Fashion. Yes, Vision Fashion. Nice. They were they, they were aiming for. Um, uh, people in the fashion industry, but you know, artworks all over the place, very ethereal music wafting through all the corridors and everything. Um, crazy surrealistic uh, reception that felt like a sort of ice cave made out of paper mache. Um, yeah, and I like that. Again, uh, I'd rather stay there than most regular five star hotels. Of course, charm. Yes. The, 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 to forget the sterility and the standardization, to get the charm, mm. the personal personality and something unique to where you actually stay in. Yes, 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 yes. Ah, all is good. Well, Herb, it's the delight to have you here. And it's been been a delight to be with you, Simon. And and as we said last time, we would hope to have a more regular architecture slot. Mm, Yeah, very, very happy to oblige. But actually, seems to be flying all around the world, jetting all over the place, doing architecture 
studying, looking, <laughs> well, journalising. Yeah, and I don't think I'm uh, going anywhere for, for, for uh, a few weeks, okay, at well, least, if not a few months. Let's make this a return visit very, very soon. Herbert Wright, architecture correspondent, deluxe and delightful. Thank you very much for popping into Isotopica today. It's a pleasure. We thank you. 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 I will talk to you of art, for there is nothing else to talk about. For there is nothing else. Life is an obscure hobo bumming a ride on the omnibus of art. Burn gas buggies and whip your sour cream of circumstance and hope. And go ahead and sleep your bloody heads off. Creation is. All else is not. What is not creation is Graham crackers. Let it all crumble to feed the creator. The artist is. All others are not. A canvas is a canvas, or a painting. A rock is a rock, or a statue. A sound is a sound, or is music. A creature is a creature, or an artist. John, Joe, Jake, Jim, Jerk, dead, dead, dead. They were not born before they were born. They were not born. Where are Leonardo, Rembrandt, Ludwig? Alive, alive, alive. They were born. Bring on the multitude with a multitude of fishes. Feed them to the fishes for liver oil, to nourish the artist. Stretch their skins upon an easel to give him canvas. Crush their bones into a paste that he might mold them. Let them die. And by their miserable deaths become the clay within his hands, that he might form an ashtray or an ark. For all that is comes through the eye of the artist. The rest are blind fish swimming in the cave of aloneness. Swim on, you maudlin, muddling, maddened fools, and dream that one bright and sunny night, some artist will bait a hook and let you bite upon it. Bite hard and die. Stomach, you are very close to immortality.
You have been listening to Isotopica here on Resonance 104.4 FM. My name is Simon Tishko. Details of today's show, previous episodes and future episodes, and of today's guest, Mr. Herbert Wright, can be found on my website, which is www.theculture.net. The show is also available for download via iTunes Store. And I hope you tune in, same time, same place, same fabulous radio show here on Resonance... 104.4 FM Et la sous-préfecture fête la sous-préfète Sous le lustre à facettes Il pleut des orangeades Et des champagnes tièdes Et les propos glacés Des femelles maussades De fonctionnarisées Je suis un soir d'été Aux fenêtres ouvertes, les dîneurs familiaux repoussent leurs assiettes et disent qu'il fait chaud. Les hommes lancent des rots de chevaliers de dons. Les nappes tombent en miettes par-dessus les balcons. Je suis un soir d'été Aux terrasses brouillées Quelques buveurs humides Parlent de haridelles Et de vieilles perfides C'est l'heure où les bretelles Soutiennent le présent Des passants répandus Et des alcoolisants Je suis un soir de lourdes amoureuses aux odeurs de cuisine promènent leur poitrine sur les flancs de la meuse. Il leur manque un soldat pour que l'été ripaille et monte vaille que vaille jusqu'en haut de leur bas. Suis un soir d'été Aux fontaines les vieux bardés de références Rebroussent leur enfance à petits pas plus vieux Ils rient de toute une dent pour croquer le silence Autour des filles qui dansent à la mort d'un printemps Je suis un soir d'été La chaleur se vertèbre, il 
fleuve des ivresses L'été à ses grands messes Et la nuit les célèbre La ville aux quatre vents Clignote leur mort Inutile et passant De n'être pas un port Je suis un soir Thank you.